everyone. This is Molly Douthit. And this is David Douthit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today we're covering Word Smart and Music Smart for the lectionary selections for the third Sunday in Lent, Year C. Isaiah encourages listeners to purchase food and drink for their deep, God-shaped hunger. The psalmist thirsts for God, who satisfies. Paul tells the Corinthians to live as second Exodus people, and Jesus teaches about repentance and tells a parable about a fig tree. Ho, come to the podcast. Buy our illustrations and special effects without money or price. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You could read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking at the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then we encourage you to try it yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back or welcome here if you're a first-time listener. Uh, We are looking at Year C, Lent 3 this week. Mm -hmm. We are looking at Word Smart and Music Smart. And we have, uh, since the beginning of this liturgical year, have been talking about what those intelligences are. Uh, What we're going to start doing now is talking about how we can use those intelligences, particularly in worship experiences. So I'm doing Word Smart this week, and David's got music. So Word Smart is essentially what the church has done really very well for a couple of centuries. Since the Reformation, we have had, especially in Protestant traditions, very word-heavy worship services with a great deal of emphasis on the sermon as the focus of the experience. Now, while that isn't always a bad thing, some people are very gifted wordsmiths and storytellers and can really make Scripture come alive in a sermon and give people a lot of theological meat to chew on. If the preacher has an axe to grind, or worse, doesn't have a point. The sermon can be either a bludgeon that beats up the sheep or a total snooze fest. Mm. If, however, the preacher is aware of how word smart reaches people, then the sermon can be presented in a wide variety of different formats with an abundance of illustrations and special effects from the other seven intelligences. Stories and references to literature and poetry still play a major part in word smart sermons, as well as clever wordplay and well-written prose. So that's how word smart has fit and can fit into your worship experiences. So music smart is the ability to identify, manipulate, express, and respond to musical elements like pitch, tone, rhythm, melody, and harmony. 
in worship, this is usually engaged through in traditional styles of worship through the prelude, uh, choir anthems, hymns, offertory, and postlude. And in contemporary styles, it's done through the work of the praise band or soloists and the praise choruses, which are generally bunched at the beginning of the service. Mm -hmm. So in both cases, though, they're being segmented off, set aside from the liturgy, if you have liturgy, or from the sermon itself proper, uh, and are often offered by trained or practiced musicians rather than being participatory for all the people. So musical intelligence, though, can be used in the liturgy itself if you, you know, have liturgy of back and forth with the people or in the reading of Scripture and in the delivery of the sermon. And this may be more widely participatory by the intentional use of musical elements like rhythm, pitch, and tone and not just whole songs. Mm-hmm. So invite your congregation to set a beat by clapping their hands or tapping their toes while the preacher raps a scripture paraphrase or recites a poem in time, which is basically the same thing. (laughs) Uh, Use different instruments to emphasize repeating themes and let people speak or sing a refrain during a prayer. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's a few thoughts on how you might incorporate Music Smart and uh, we'll take a look at a few more as we go along here. But uh, um, you can also check out all the rest of the intelligences at our website, morethanhearing.org, uh, on our resources page or our About Dr. Gardner's Work page. Uh, and you can also look at our episode from three years ago for Lent, Lent three, three years in 2016. In 2016. Right. And we'll have links for those at the show notes for this week's episode. Okay. Let's go look at the texts. We're starting with a gospel lesson for year C, Lent 3, uh, which is from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And this is, um, verses 1 through 9, is, it's like there's almost two different things, that Luke had a story and then a parable, and he just smashed them together. Mm. There is connection in them. Um, we're not going to dwell on that too terribly much, but the story is um, people coming to Jesus and telling him about Galileans whose blood uh, had been mingled by Pilate with their sacrifices, so some people who had been murdered. And Jesus responds to them by mentioning 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. So we've got some tabloid headlines going here. Yeah. And uh, Jesus ref- says to the people who have told this him this news i tell you unless you repent you will all perish just as they did well that doesn't sound very cheery and then he goes on to tell the parable about a uh a man with a fig tree planted in his vineyard um finding no fruit on it he wants to rip it up but the gardener comes and says no 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 wait wait give me a chance i'll i'll mulch around it and do some pruning and water it carefully and 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 maybe maybe something will happen if it doesn't bear fruit cut it down so yep there you go. There does not seem to be any connection between those two things at all. But well, I think there is. Yeah, there is. It's about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit and repenting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and let's see if we can change course here. Exactly. There you go. And um, 
Yes. And as a matter of fact, my first illustration uh, deals with that in verse five for the word repent. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. So uh, looking at one of my favorite word smart blogs, it called uh, Lectionary Greek written by Rob Mialis. He goes through the some particular Greek words and highlights their use in in uh, scripture passages. And this particular use the, for the word repent is the present tense subjunctive, which means that it's kind of an ongoing thing. It's not a, a one-time repentance, you know, turn, you're saved, we're done. It is instead a lifetime of repentance. So it's a difference um, between one thing and a lifetime of continual choices to stay on the path that follows after God's lead. Think of it kind of like a stop sign. Um, as you're going down the road, uh, you, you see this written instruction, stop, and you stop. And when it's safe, you go on. And then as you're going down the road, when you come to the next one, you stop again. And then maybe you will continue on straight through the intersection or you'll turn. You'll keep coming to stop signs or other traffic instructions, and you will need to make decisions every time you come to one about your direction. So you see words, a word that tells you to do something, and you have to first listen or or obey it, respond to it, and then make a decision. Uh, And and if you're thinking of it in terms of traffic, the the decision is, is it safe to go? Mm -hmm. And am I going the right way? Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so there's an Mm -hmm. illustration uh, based on repentance and making decisions. I also think you might have an illustration for verse 7 where the uh, owner of the the, uh, vineyard is complaining that the fig tree that's not bearing fruit is just wasting soil. Mm, Yeah. And I think that is a very unique insult. What a waste of soil. (laughs) It's kind of akin to a waste of space or mouth breather or any other type of insult that suggests someone is just a lump of clay. But the gardener's not ready to give up. There's lots of dung and lots of digging may make the difference. So... That's an interesting way of of, uh, talking about that fig tree. What a waste of soil. Hmm. So for, uh, I have a couple of options for some uh, special effects. Um, The fate of the Galileans and those killed in the tower collapse kind of seemed, like I said, uh, like tabloid reporting. So um, maybe write a clickbait headline. Uh, for the story, and or even get a, <laughs> a, a newsprint and write a sensational headline about that. Um, that's just kind of goofy, but it could be fun. Yeah, that could be fun. Or uh, another option for a special effect. This tree wouldn't bear fruit. You'll be amazed at what didn't happen next. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> or for another special effect, go get a stop sign. And post it prominently for the sermon. Uh, this kind of borrows a little bit for iSmart for the visual aid, but the symbol is what is important for WordSmart. Or if you can't actually find a stop sign, get some stop sign stickers and pass them out to the congregation. And invite people to put them somewhere where will they see it, where they will see them for the coming week. Mm. Just or just simply pay attention to how many stop signs you see this week in your commute or driving around, and remember that this is what Jesus is asking us to do: stop and think about the path we're on and adjust accordingly. That's interesting. So the first part where he's talking about all the tragedies mm-hmm. and calling them to repent is kind of a stop. 
Yep. Because you're going yep. into danger. Well, and, and, and also the stop parable. thinking that you you don't have a similar fate. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, this uh, could happen to you too, and uh, you're no better yep. because it hasn't. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Tying something together here. Sorry. I'll stop now. <laughs> stop. And then... <laughs> The parable is trying to get the tree to go. Oh, nice. I love it. Ooh, you can play red light, green light. Hey, there you go. There's a body smart. Body smart. Okay, me? Yes. What have you got, dear? Well, for music smart, as I was looking at this, it seemed like uh, the passage had elements of lament, warning, and protest. Mm -hmm. Especially the first part, the verses one through five. The lament is about the tragic deaths that, that Jesus names. Right. Uh, the warning is against following in dangerous paths. And then the protest is, it's a little more subtle and probably depends on how radical you are in your own politics. <laughs> but um, it feels- Or how radical you think Jesus might be. Well, right, yes. Because uh, it seems like there's maybe a call for protest against Pilate and against this present darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's- uh, um, you know, Pilate did these awful things, and uh, it's time for us to stop living like that. That kind of protest, you know, it's, we can't let him get away with that okay. kind okay. of free pend. Okay. Um. So I, I I'm not stop sure. Stop being that's... such a wuss and stand up to the guy, maybe, well, or don't fall, don't uh, don't succumb to his evil. Somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But it's somewhere in there, I think. Okay. So anyway, um, I went looking for how to express some of this musically, because all of those forms, lament, warning, and and protest, can be done in song. Mm -hmm. Uh, First thing I found was an article, uh, or actually a, a section of a book by Barbara Holmes, and I came across it by way of Richard Rohr at the Center for Action and Contemplation. Mm-hmm. And we've got a link for it here. And it's a meditation on blues and jazz as forms of contemplative lament and response to the evils of life. Mm-hmm. And contemplative lament isn't a phrase I think I've ever heard. But, uh, you know, it's all, that's what uh, Richard Rohr is. That's his big thing. Contemplation. Is yeah. the con- contemplative life mm-hmm. and uh, being open to the present experience of the presence of God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So to be able to lament in that style um, is what they're talking about. And that blues and jazz, because of the nature of the music, that it is so immediate mm-hmm. and um, extemporaneous mm-hmm. and improvisational. improvisational, that it is you're in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and feeling all the feels, right? <laughs> so that's kind of what's going on there. And and, and it can uh, lead you to uh, contemplative um, uh, areas? Well, it's an, it is a contemplative experience. Okay. You know, it's a form of contemplation or a okay. form of meditation because you're in the moment. So it kind of disengages those higher brain functions and, you, and, and sort of engages the entire person. I, I, I see sure, music I as know. doing that. <laughs> well, it being kind of transporting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. So. So anyway, we've got a link in the show notes for that, and mm-hmm. you can take a look at that. Uh, blues in particular and jazz as 
responses to the evils, especially for the African-American community in, over the course of history. Uh, but bluegrass also has a strong tradition of lamentation, uh, though the form is very different. Uh, so I, then I went looking for some particulars of the different uh, styles of, of songs here. So I've got some lament songs. And I've got a bluegrass, a uh, kind of roots folk song, and a blues song for lament. So one is the Migrant's Lament by a group called the Tillers, and that's bluegrass, about a guy trying to find a job and, and send money home and all that sort of thing and how, how rough his life is. Then Narragansett Bay, by Cordelia's dad, which is this oddly upbeat song about a guy whose six-year-old daughter drowns in the bay. Uh. Um, and then Blue's Lament, which is about a 12 and a half minute song by Joe Turner, Big Joe Turner and Jimmy Witherspoon. And it's blues. And it's, if you like the blues, it's great. Um, it's really good. And then, you know, it's just a series of sad stories in each verse. Mm -hmm. So, uh, all of those are examples of lament, uh, warning songs. Then I, I kind of turned to pop music. And so I went with house of the rising sun by mm -hmm. the animals, although it was previously done by muddy waters and, and Woody Guthrie warning song don't you do as i have done mm -hmm. and and then um on a slightly less uh, existential note run around sue by dion uh don't mess around with her because she's not worth she's it she's not worth it yeah. right and um don't don't you do what i've done and then protest songs you know the times they are changing by bob dylan and again woody guthrie tear the fascists down which was about Hitler before the United States got into the war. And Hitler was tearing across, and, and Mussolini, you know, the, the fascists were tearing up everything, and everybody else was fighting them except we weren't. Mm -hmm. And so the song is, we got to tear those fascists down, and it's time that we be the union that does it hmm. and join in with the, with the Russians and the Chinese and hmm. and. You know, London's in tatters and Paris is in chains. It's time for us to get busy. Hmm. So that's kind of what I was thinking might be a flavor of what Jesus is saying toward Pilate and, and the other things is it's time for us to get busy, whatever mm -hmm. that means through okay. the gospel. Okay. Right? So for special effect, maybe pick one of these songs like Blues Lament because it's nice and long and have it just playing in the background. Once you kind of set up what you're doing, have it just playing mm -hmm. in the background. The blues is great for being in the background sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right, you know. jazz too. Yeah. Uh, or make a mixtape of these different styles and different um, different elements mm -hmm. of lament and, and warning. And uh, you know, crossfade them and then weave your sermons in so that it times with the music. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when your mixtape's done, so is your sermon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. So there we go. Let's go on. The New Testament lesson for year C, Lent 3, is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 13. Here Paul is writing to the Corinthians and trying to get them not to do the things that they've been doing, basically, and using the Hebrew scriptures as, um, as an example 
of what happens if you do the things that they seem to be doing. He says, look, the the Hebrews, our ancestors, were all under a cloud. They passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses with the cloud and the sea. They ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink uh, and drank from the rock, which was Christ, which I think is an interesting twist. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I don't remember that in the story, A little Paul. bit of pre-formation reapplied uh-huh. to, the, to the text. Um Nevertheless, in spite of all of that, God struck some of them down in the wilderness because they didn't do what they ought to have been doing. So these things are written for examples for us. Don't desire evil. Don't be idolaters. Don't indulge in sexual immorality. Don't complain against each other or against God. Whoa. All of which are things that were happening in, in the wilderness, the, in the wilderness, and in, in Corinth. Corinth. Mm-hmm. So, gee, I saying, bet they're still happening. Don't do as they did, because mm-hmm. um, they died. Yeah, behave yourselves and get it. Get yourself straight. So, what Paul seems to be doing here is using a negative moral example. And uh, he's using the writings of the scriptures to tell the old stories of the wayward Hebrews as a kind of fable to instruct the Corinthians. Now, I know fables are generally counted as fiction and, you know, fiction to convey a moral lesson. I'm not saying that Exodus was fiction, but instead that the stories he's using um, have a fable-like have quality, a fable-like quality the almost. way he's telling mm-hmm. them because it's once upon a time kind right, of thing. Right, right. That's a Back, very word-smart kind of thing. Uh, well, it kind of is, yeah. So uh, they're, they're serving the function of fables by conveying the moral lesson from a distant time and place. So that's why I'm going after here. So I went and found a collection of fables, which would be word-smart, but they're mm-hmm. in verse. They're poetry, and that makes it music Music smart. smart. And it comes from the 19th century, and I've got a link for you. Uh, It'll be in the show notes. And um, it's from 19th century England, uh, written for the children of a marquis and his wife. The first of the fables in the book is actually telling the story of how somebody used a fable (laughs) to change the crowd's mind. And um, so the first fable tells the power of fables, and then it goes on from there to to do different lessons, uh, some from Aesop, some from La Fontaine, and then others, and they've all been converted into poetry. So choose one of those or a part of one to impart to the congregation the example of what we're talking about, a, a fable that imparts a moral lesson. So then once you've done that, maybe try rewriting this passage or at least parts of it in verse to follow that book, to follow those those uh, stories, um, those fables in verse from the book. Um, it shouldn't be too difficult because especially in the second part of this passage, it's already fairly poetic. It has a rhythm to mm-hmm, it already. Definitely. So it shouldn't be too hard. If we get a chance, we'll we'll put something up but uh but you're all very creative and we would love to see what you come up with so that's what i've got how about word smart okay 
I really like the idea of the fable. Kind of wish I'd thought of that myself. But anyway. Um, You're welcome to use it. Well, well, you listeners are welcome to use that. And, and uh, uh, seeing how it, it's, it's really fascinating to me in, in, in working with multiple intelligence theory, how sometimes you have uh, an idea for one thing and, and you think, oh, wait, that could go there too. They, they bleed into each other a lot. They do. Music and word do especially. Yeah. Okay, Bill Loader, my uh, go-to guy for New Testament commentary, uh, says, Paul does not espouse the view once saved, always saved, because he sees salvation as something focused not on getting into heaven and escaping hell, but on a relationship with a person, and that relationship is either intact or growing, or it's not. Mm. So the wedding Mm -hmm. doesn't guarantee the marriage. Uh-huh. That's kind of Paul's message here. So the Corinthians had begin, begun placing too much trust in the gift of salvation rather than the one who gave it to them. Mm-hmm. The gift began to replace the giver. That got me to thinking about a story. Um, I, I didn't actually hear it from uh, this woman. My mom told me about a conversation she had with her. This is my brother-in-law's mother, um, who was the daughter of a Lutheran pastor. And Martha. Yeah. And um, she was helping her mother one day. I think they were cleaning or they were packing or something. But anyway, Martha had possession of this bowl that her mother really, really loved. I, I don't know if it was an heirloom or what, but it had a great deal of emotional significance and value for her. And as Martha was handling it, she broke it. Mm. Her mother was devastated that this this priceless piece of uh, of um, glassware or ceramic or whatever it was 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 broken, and she tried not to make Martha feel guilty about it, but um, she wasn't entirely succeeding. <laughs> And her father, seeing uh, his wife's devastation and the way that uh, Martha was, um, Martha's mom was piling onto her devastation at having broken this, said to his wife, if you love that bowl so much, then maybe it's a good thing it's gone. Mm. So there's a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's an illustration of how the gift uh, replaced the giver. And if you have any sorts of personal stories or know of any other kinds of stories, you can uh, use that as an illustration. That's one of the things about WordSmart that's really good is telling stories that relate to the theology or the the point that is being made in a particular uh piece of scripture. Right. And if it's a personal story, something that you yourself can tell, um, even better, because it connects you to the story and then allows people to make their own connections to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an illustration. Special effects, got a couple ideas here. Uh, find a way to include this relationship of grace in the liturgy. Use verse 12, uh, which is, so if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. Use that as a basis for a prayer of confession. Hmm. Maybe even use that phrase in in sort of a rhythmic, repetitive way. Maybe even sing it. There you go for some music, Smart. Thank you. You're welcome. And use verse 13. No testing has overtaken you. That is not common to everyone. God is faithful and God will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, God will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. You maybe use that as an affirmation of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So use the words in this passage in your liturgy. Mm -hmm. 
And then I looked back at what we did three years ago, and the worksheet uh, had um, an idea for using different kinds of instruction manuals, because mm-hmm. Paul says uh, in verse 11 that these things were written down to instruct us. So what other kinds of instruction man- or, or in- words of instruction do we encounter in our lives, uh, like owner's manuals, cookbooks, dictionaries, textbooks, maps, contracts? that sort of thing. So just bring in a collection of written word that instructs you or gives you guidance as a way of, you know, showing, demonstrating um, how things are written to instruct. Mm-hmm. Or once were. Or once were, right. Yeah. Or you just hold up your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to even have anything on it. Just say, I've got it here. <laughs> People will trust you. <laughs> Take me at my word. Anyway, all right, let's go on. The psalm for year C, Lent 3, is Psalm 63, and the lectionary committee, instead of using the entire thing, has us going for verses 1 through 8. Uh, it begins, O God, you are my God, I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, this as you will see in a little bit, connects a bit with the Isaiah passage. So which mm-hmm. is, this is probably why it has been chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes on to uh, say that the psalmist is looking for God in the sanctuary, and because God's steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy." So it is a uh, psalm that is in a desperate search for uh, something, uh, for sustenance, for God, for um, a way of quenching a, a deep thirst. And when it is found, it is a reason to sing for joy. Alrighty, well, I've Got a couple little things here. Uh, One of the things that I was very glad to stumble across, I subscribe to a daily devotion called God Pause, which Luther Seminary uh, publishes. And it gives um, seminary students and alumni opportunity to look at the daily lectionary and write devotions. And for today, Katie Langston, who is a student at Luther Seminary, uh, wrote a reflection, and she spoke about C.S. Lewis in her devotion. And she said this about him. Lewis pursued and yearned for joy as that sharp, wonderful stab of longing that dashes in with the agility of a hummingbird claiming its nectar from the flower and then zips away. It pricks, then vanishes, leaving a wake of mystery and longing behind it. And I should probably explain that is actually C.S. Lewis writing that and not Katie, but she quotes him. Uh, so I think that's just sort of a, a very evocative um, way of, it's, it's a really evocative metaphor mm-hmm. of what uh, joy is like. Th- th- that's one way of, of uh, using word smart is, it, is an illustration, is to find a, a particular theme, uh, joy for example, in this particular psalm, and then find something, a quote or an idea uh, that an author has written about it and use that as a way of illustrating it. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the idea of joy being like a hummingbird. There's a little bit of nature smart in there too. There is a good bit. So, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, a second illustration comes from Gregory Jones in a book called Embodying Forgiveness, a Theological Analysis, talking about, and I think this might be actually be part of the uh, psalm that is not being used. It's in the shaded part verse, going on at uh, verse 9, where the psalmist is talking about those who are his enemies. Oh, yes. Uh, so this doesn't entirely fit with what we're doing, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, so anyway, the, the quote here is, if we fail to acknowledge truthfully who our enemies are and what they are doing, then we cheapen forgiveness and indeed may per- perpetuate or exacerbate the cycle of violence and vengeance. The path of forgiveness cannot be authentic unless there is a truthful moral and political judgment. Of course, that means, in the first instance, acknowledging the senses in which all of us have been, and to some extent still are, enemies of God. That is what it means to repent daily, to continue to unlearn the patterns of sin and evil as we seek to become holy people. It's interesting that that that's suggesting you have to acknowledge the the nature of your enemies and the lectionary committee clips off the, the part about the enemies. <laughs> right, uh, right. To, I, I wonder if they're, they were trying to sanitize it, you know? It's so entirely possible, yeah. Very often when... Thematically... Uh, fit it with the other, other passages, maybe yeah. so, maybe so. But um, I think it fits with what you were getting at with the Luke passage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably uh, has a great deal of, of uh, pertinence for our culture and our world today. Yeah. Uh, particularly the idea of acknowledging the ways in which we continue to be enemies of God. We always point at our enemies and what awful people they are without remembering to you know look back at the three fingers that are pointing back at us as we're pointing one finger at them. Right. So I think it's an interesting quote, and um, it's an opportunity to explore those verses that got cut out by the electionary committee. Yeah, I, I think those are worth spending some time on. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Uh, so that quote it will be on the worksheet, so you can download the worksheet at the website. So for special effect, these verses are not only a wonderful way to do a call to worship, but a great way to begin the prayers of intercession. Uh, particularly, mm. my soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. Uh, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So use these use these words. Use this psalm in your worship experience. Use these words. They're there. They're free. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my, one of my go-to uh, websites for liturgy is uh, liturgies and litanies is written by a woman named Joan Stott, who has a a website called the Timeless Psalms, and she always has some really great ideas. And we'll have a link to that website at the show notes as well. So there are some word smart options. What you got for music? Uh, the selected verses, the verses one through eight, are a bit like I, I had a sense of it being a, like a pop love song. Mm-hmm. filled with praise for the beloved and expressions of longing. Uh, so you could explore that a little bit by exploring similar expressions in your favorite pop songs or current pop songs, if they're not current, uh, <laughs> if yours aren't current, um, about love and longing. And I have found a, uh, wow, a, this long, is a long list, list. It's an extensive list at songfacts.com. Interesting selection, too. Songs about desire or oh, wow. longing. And it is an alphabetical list, and there are several 
Wow, all it. those different styles too. Yeah, and and different. You should periods. go look just to yeah. see this and I see mean, what's in your what's in your own music library. Yeah, too. it goes back to Frank Sinatra mm. and uh, who is Fitz and the Tantrums? I've never heard of that one. Uh, what's the song? I don't know. Uh, complicated. Oh, way at the top. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So anyway, all sorts Lady of Lady Annabelle, Thelma Houston, mm-hmm. Third Eye Blind. Yep. Cool. So uh, I don't know how many of these. I don't. I, there are a lot that I don't recognize at all. I think a lot of them are Devo, eighties, nineties. Ah, uh, no. Bands. There's. I've and, seen Drake, and I saw. Um, yeah, there, T- there, there, Sarah there are some. Tegan. There, there are a few uh, uh, contemporary ones that, mm-hmm. that I don't know. So. <laughs> um, anyway, the idea here would be oh, to to explore some of those same themes about longing uh, and how that gets expressed in, in the pop culture. And you might do that looking at songs from different eras, mm-hmm. you know, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. Right. Right. You know, uh, just pull different styles, pull a little bit out here and there mm-hmm. and then compare it to the Psalm and how it turned, how, 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 the psalmist's longing is turning toward God rather than um, a uh, romantic or sexual partner. Mm-hmm. Right. So, where and then where does the difference come between those pop songs and the psalm? Well, it might be those last verses that God elided. Where it says, uh, by the way, my enemies will be destroyed. Right, right. <laughs> now, there are some songs, some of the songs on that list probably include stuff like sure, that. Sure, sure. Uh, so, you know, that that would be interesting to explore as well. But, um, huh. So, interesting. Yeah. So that or might take be. Take the psalm and, and put it to one of these tunes. Well, that yeah. Yeah, that would be good too. Hmm. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, I've yeah. bookmarked that list. I'm going to keep it and see what I've got <laughs> in my own music library. Good. All right. So that's it. Great. Let's go on. The Old Testament lesson for year C, Lent 3, is Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9. It is perhaps uh, the only use of the word ho in the Bible. I don't know. <laughs> H-O. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. Even if you have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And it goes on uh, with more invitation to come uh, be with the Lord and and repent and turn to the Lord, uh, pointing out the covenant with David, the everlasting covenant with David, and God's pouring out of glory on Israel, and uh, more of the invitation to repent and come to the Lord who pardons abundantly. And uh, just Hmm, that— I'm sensing a theme. Yes, and just that sense of separation then at the end, verses 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There we go. Now, when I do music smart, I, I try not to just do a list of songs, but I notice that on at least three of these, I have a list of songs. <laughs> so, 
you know, sorry, gang. In fact, I've got two lists of well, songs here. Well, but... the the songs that you that you have are not uh, hymns or praise music. No. It's stuff that's out there in the popular yes. culture. Yeah, which illustrates a theme or an idea, probably in a way that is is uh, different and unusual from and hopefully maybe engages the other parts yeah. of people's lives yeah. so that's kind of what i'm going for but uh i've got a list of 100 songs that someone thought would be good uh for hitting rock bottom now it, I, i'm something in this got got me thinking that that was kind of the point here uh, that um People who hitting have, rock bottom? Hitting in, rock in bottom. In the Isaiah passage? The, yeah, the invitation to those who are hitting rock bottom to come back to the Lord and and start again well, to turn their lives around. If this so, was written to the exiles, right? there you go. Right, and it would be third Isaiah. Mm-hmm. The so, returning exiles. The returning exiles, right? And you have no money, you got nothing, Come. And buy and eat anyway, rich food anyway, even with nothing. Hmm. And um, that uh, sounds like a song. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, get busy and write that. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts, and let them turn to the Lord that He might have mercy. So you know, there was just that feeling of your life is is on the rocks. And the Lord is offering you the way up. Hmm. So um, that that's that's what I got hooked on. So that's where I went. So a list of a hundred songs for for when you hit rock bottom. It includes some that are just um, there. There are a lot of them that are you're not in this alone kind of message. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly an important point in in getting off that the bottom rock. rock, right? right? Yeah. So. Um, Anyway, some of those songs include You've Got a Friend, James Taylor, You're Only Human, Billy Joel, several versions of Lean On Me. I think I think that's the list where I found uh, Winona Judd, Rock Bottom, but she has a song called, called, Rock, Rock, Bottom? called Rock Bottom. There you go. Then, then I've got another list of 20 more songs <laughs> about being at rock bottom. So uh, hundreds of choices. So whatever your musical flavor of choice is, you'll be able to find it there. There you go. Turning, changing direction a little bit for the special effect. Try one of those things that we talked about at the top of the show. Use percussion instruments to emphasize some of the different themes and parts in the reading. So while you're reading the text... Try something like I, I noticed that there were several kind of repeating flavors and themes here, like invitations. There are all sorts of invitations here. Mm-hmm. Come, 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 listen, incline your ear, see. Right. So all of those. Whenever there's an invitation, ring a triangle. Mm-hmm. So verse one, three, a six, seven, probably some more. Uh, shake the maracas for God's providence. I don't know why maracas. It just I was looking through the box, and there they were. So uh, shake some maracas for God's providence. Verse 1, 3b, 5, 7b. Shake the castanets. 
that God's ways differing from our ways. And so, obviously, the last couple of verses, but also verse 2 and 5b, where God offers abundant forgiveness. Uh, what you could do with, with I like this idea a lot. Get the get the percussion instruments, but in, in bring some other people in and have them. Oh yeah, so it's not just you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have them practice it ahead of time, right? And 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 doing the the music or doing the the rhythm stuff as you're reading the psalm, and then th- th- then do it uh, in the worship. It's yeah. kind of like what we did at the retreat. At the retreat, we mentioned that City. Then, yeah. uh, last month. Yeah. Uh, I two months ago. It's the end of is end of January. End of January. Yeah. End of February. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's pretty so, cool. Yeah. So there we go. That's what I got. How about word smart? Well, I'm going back to lectionary Greek, which is interesting because this is Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, verses two and three in the Hebrew is the word nefesh which is uh, translated as soul. It's not actually used here in the New Revised, but if you go to look at the original Hebrew, you see it there. Um, and uh, Rob Mayalis, again, uh, saying that for those of us living in a world formed by the Greek ideas of that, that dualistic nature, when we hear the word soul, we think of that wispy part of our lives that floats up to heaven when we die. But the word soul in Hebrew means living being. There's mm. no dichotomy. There's right, no right. division. It's clearly identified uh, in the context here that a soul includes eating, drinking, and listening. And the soul, even if one wants to move into that Greek territory of a distinct part of the body, it's not separate, but is intimately connected. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the entire being uh, that is being called to in, in this particular uh, poetry from Isaiah. Isaiah talks about uh, come and buy these things without price. And that made me think of those old MasterCard commercials that list a variety of objects and their prices and then ends with something that was one of kind and entirely unique. And it was called priceless. Mm -hmm. Uh, My favorite is an amusement park. And I could not find it. Oh. Uh, but I do, do have a couple of links to those commercials. Um, and and this the idea that this gift that God is promising, it's something that's so unique, so special, and so one of a kind that it is priceless. Mm. So uh, using the, the, the technique of a, of a well-worn uh, commercial, they started airing in the late 90s. Yeah. And sometimes they still pop up. MasterCard's kind of gone on with a different camp, ad campaign, but they hung around for about, 17, 15, 17 yeah. years. So it's well lasting. I think the only thing that's gone longer is in Geico commercials. Mm. And none of these companies support our podcast. Right, exactly. Uh, this uh, is uh, all free. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is These are just ideas. Um, and Samuel Wells, uh, writing an article at the, at the Christian Century, his commentary says that Christianity isn't simply about satisfying people's hunger. Uh, He's kind of going on into a Christian expression of this particular passage. Um, What Christianity is about, it's it's a huge gamble on the hunch that what people are really hungry for is something they don't know the name of and wouldn't recognize it even when they find it. Hmm. Uh, So he uh, says, and what is that mysterious discovery, that extraordinary food? It's the wondrous truth that there's something even deeper, even more long-lasting, and even more insatiable than our hunger, and that's God's hunger for us hmm. so there are a couple uh, there's an, an article there that uh, you could use as an illustration for what is being expressed in this passage we we're, we're looking at it more in terms of we're hungry but it's kind of interesting to think of 
God being hungry for us, yeah. which sort of makes our our looking and our finding even that much more huh, priceless. So a little body smart on that too. Oh yeah, totally. To and some people and smart and, uh, yeah. with with the idea of that relationship being so important. Yeah. Okay, some special effects. Um, that bottomless hunger that can only be satisfied by God. Uh, Samuel Wells, in his article, talked about the U2 song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, which include these lyrics. I have climbed the highest mountains. I've run through fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls, these city walls, only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So you could maybe play that uh, as a as a uh, special effect. Um, music, smart. music, smart. music. Oh yeah. So, as a matter of fact, I almost put this on your worksheet. And I saw all of the stuff that you had, and I thought, no, I'm keeping it. <laughs> uh, another special effect for uh, for Word Smart here. This entire passage, but especially the first three verses, it kind of sounds like an OxyClean commercial. <laughs> Or, or other kinds of, hey, come try this thing. We got this stuff for you here. Come try this. Come try this. And at some point in your sermon, you could try quoting the first few verses as though this was a sales pitch. Oh, yeah. So huh. that could be interesting if, you, if yeah. you're up for that. I mean, it kind of lightens the mood a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know if it, it, or it's a, just a carnival barker. A car- oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Come, come on, come, come all. Right. <laughs> okay. There we go. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or at facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS. Or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can always share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Good production. Dot, 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 dot.